Well, I'm going to teach now um, the next segment in our series, an unfolding series, the doctrine of righteousness or the teaching on righteousness. Unfortunately, if we're not here on Wednesday, Wednesday we had a profound session on um, discussing what does the scripture mean when it says that if you only are drinking milk, you are baby and you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, okay? But strong meat belongs to the mature, it says, those who by reason of use have had their senses, what? Trained. Everyone say trained. Trained to discern between good and, and evil. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. That text, this is Hebrews 5, uh, Luke, Hebrews 5, 13. That text, together with Hebrews 5, 14, has been historically used to distinguish between the infant, Christian, and he who is mature. Okay? And the demarcation or the yardstick to separate the two was the ability to engage deep revelation. So, milk, which is fit for babes, is given to infant Christians or immature Christians, while meat, which grown men consume, denoting a mature position, is fit for those that can plummet the deeper things of God in terms of deeper revelation. Now, that is true. That view is true. But I don't think it's, in essence, what the Scripture is alluding to. Because the Scripture says, He, let's just read it, everyone who partakes only in milk is what? Is unaccustomed. Everyone say unaccustomed. The word unaccustomed here in the Greek is inexperienced or unskilled. Who is unskilled in the word of righteousness? I said to you, how do you interpret the phrase word of righteousness? Two ways. It's a gentle descriptor of the word. The word can be called the word of righteousness, right? Like in other places, it's called the word of faith, etc. But, or you can view it like this. It is word that is designed to produce righteousness in you. And that is my view in terms of what the scripture means. Because 2 Timothy, go right there. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. Watch. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? For, for four things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in what? Training in righteousness. So what trains you in righteousness? All scripture. When the scripture says all scripture... It really means that. It means both Old Testament and New Testament is profitable to, to train you in righteousness. So we said here, for example, that it's training in righteousness. Okay? Train, everyone say training. We said the Hebrew word, the Greek word here is paideia, which denotes instruction, for example, from a parent to a child with the idea inclusive of correction, reproof. Or discipline, okay? Everyone say correction, reproof, discipline, okay? So God knows that those who are sons of God who have received the gift of righteousness because they've received Christ as Lord and Savior. And now along, you've been justified. Everyone say justification. So you've been justified. But now there's a long process of sanctification ahead of you. We day by day, you are conformed more fully in a very practical way into the image of God. For that to happen, 
you cannot engage that process without engaging the word of the Lord. Because the word, all scripture, is going to now do what? To train you. Everyone say paideia. Greek word here, train, means please keep it in your mind. It's to educate or to instruct from a higher to a lower, like parent to child or teacher and student, with the idea inclusive of correction, discipline, admonition, um, uh, or reproof. That's why it's lumped together with similar concepts, reproof, correction, and training in, in righteousness. So the word of the Lord does that. How does it do that? Primarily through your spiritual oversight. Let me explain. All of you should love the Bible. Yes? You love God's word? Right? All of you should love the word, right? So when you read and you study the word of the Lord, picture yourself as you're allowing that word to instruct you in how to be practically righteous. Positionally, you are because you got the gift of righteousness. But you are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ in a practical way by allowing that word to bring... How did we define righteousness, remember? Come on, anybody? How did we define righteousness? Right, you know, Trevlin got it. What is a Trevlin? It's a divine design or template, right, that God has for all sons of God on the earth and those sons of God can't do their own thing, can't live how you want to. There are protocols, there are, there are governing principles or guidelines. You said the word design or template that, that God has set for you to comply with. Okay? So you don't... Um, what's that verse you quoted, Mark? Ecclesiastes 7? 29? Just check it out. I think it's 729. Behold, I have found only this... God made men upright. The word upright is righteous. But they have sought many devices. You can't seek your own device. Some versions say inventions. You can't use your own imagination or invention to concoct how you should live in a particular area of your life. I'm saying to you, God has a standard for that domain. Standard for marriage. Standard for how you should behave to a superior in the workplace. Standard for how you should forgive a brother. Standards for everything, right? So you simply comply to this standard. Now, what will give you those standards? The Word of God, not so. The Word of God will make plain to you what the standards are. So when a scripture says, go back to 2 Timothy 3.16, where the scripture says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, reproof, correction, and for instruction or for training in Righteousness. It's the Word of God, watch, that does two things. And I'll explain this more fully next week. When you are exposed to God's standard or principles on a matter for which you, in your, practically in your life, want to bring your life to order in that domain, consult the Scriptures because they were clearly laid out for you. But I'll show you next week that when the Scriptures lay the thing out for you, it doesn't expect you to do it without also empowering you to do it. So in the expectation of God, you'll also find the enablement of God. Everyone say expectation and say enablement. Right? So, so, so God says to you that, um, 
for example, in marriage, as Christ is the head of the church, a husband is the head of his wife. You can't break that order, right? That's a template, it's a design for righteous living practically in, in marriage, okay? There's an order for, for spiritual fathers and sons, behavioral patterns that govern that arrangement, for example. Can't decide, uh, tell, tell your neighbor, it's not left to your device. What does the New King James or NIV say here? Um, of Ecclesiastes 7.29, okay? I think it uses, one of them used the word inventions, or is it one of the schemes? Look at this here. You can't scheme, right? It's not left to, Pastor Thamo said, it's not left to men to imagine or for your imagination to determine what's right. Simply consult the manual and you, you do what the manual does. But the manual doesn't expect you to do, but also giving you the grace to do it. Now that's a forthcoming attraction. That's going to be very, very empowering. Please come back next week. Okay, I won't go there now because I need to just lay a few things. Go back to Hebrews 5. Now, rather go quickly to Hebrews 12, right? Um, just to re I'm just rehearsing the kernel points before we go on to today's study, but it's needful for you. Listen carefully. Hebrews 12 from verse 5 says that, Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My sons do not regard lightly the what? The discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Verse 6, for whom, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So when you discipline your child, is your discipline evidence of your love? Yeah, it should be, right? If you do not love, you will not discipline. Love is both tender and tough, but it's love nevertheless, okay? Love knows when to be disciplined and to the recipient to whom the discipline is meted out. It might seem as the one giving the discipline is against me, but you mustn't think like that. The one administrating the discipline is for me, loves me enough to correct me. Listen carefully. A father will love a child enough to discipline. The absence of discipline indicates the absence of care and love. So if you are the recipient of reproof, correction, and discipline, please note how greatly you are loved. Okay? So don't say ouch or aina when the discipline is meted out. Say thank you. Right? And now watch what the text says further. Verse 7 says the following. It is for discipline that, if it is for discipline that you endure, God deals with you as sons. You know, I like the word endure. This text implies in that discipline must be endured. The word endure means hupamano in the Greek means to stay up under. You don't buckle under it, you hold up. Everyone say endure discipline, right? So when it comes to you, because it's not easy sometimes to, to receive correction, Anybody like to be corrected here? Anybody like to be lambasted, shambocked, corrected? Nobody, right? It's not nice. Discipline is not nice. I don't care who you are. Even though you might know it's an expression of love, but the feelings you go through is not pleasant. Internally, when, when it's going to have to be done, not so. But the Bible says you've got to endure it because God is dealing you how? With you as, as sons 
For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And watch, verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. Right? So you're an illegitimate son, not a son in other words. It says it clearly, not a son. Not just illegitimate, you're actually not a son. If you don't know how to receive, process, and respond to godly discipline. Okay? I need to say this to you before we proceed. If I have the need to correct you on any matter, please know how much I love you. I'll say it again. If I have the need to correct you on any matter, please know how much I love you. It's an expression. It's never vindictive. It's never punitive. It's never to marginalize you. It's never to make you feel bad. It's never to expose you. It's never to embarrass you. It's never to humiliate you. It's to demonstrate to you that indeed you are a son. And hence the, the correction is administrative. Do you know somebody once said, the hallmark of spiritual maturity is one's capacity to receive correction. If you claim maturity, and then you have the need to be corrected, and you don't respond to it biblically or properly, you've just demonstrated your immaturity. So maturity is demonstrated by the correct approach to discipline. And verse 9 says the following, okay? Furthermore, we've had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Not so. When your father gave you a hiding, he still went to give him a hug. He gave the hiding, you gave the hug, right? Still responded with love, still honor, honor the man. Even though sometimes, sometimes the expressions of the discipline of fathers did not fit the crime, if you know what I mean. You know, our parents just knew, my dad and my mom, my dad didn't need any implement to help him. He had hard rock hands from Brick Lane. And he was a bodybuilder. He was big. He was massive, my dad. Uh, I told you the story of the clout I received. I was about 13 or 14 years old. A clout sent me from one end of the kitchen. We had a long kitchen. One clout, boom, and I was at the other end. <laughs> right? Because I did not listen to him on three occasions regarding a particular matter. That put my brain right completely for the rest of my life. He did not have to administrate another expression of that. But I mean, my parents, I can't, I, if I do that to Luke today, he'll charge me. <laughs> Our parents just took liberties, hey, boom. I remember as a teacher, discipline, right? Disciplining kids at school with love. But now there are certain things you can't do, obviously, for a very good reason, too. But I'm saying our parents sometimes were hard, eh? We grew up in a hard school. Don't know about you, eh? You came late. We had to be indoors by 6 p.m. every night. You are five minutes over 6 p.m. I'll never forget this. I came in about 10 past 6. Sheila B., my mother, just said, where were you? Oh, playing soccer with the guys. Just down, not far, around the corner. Around the, where the game just ended. She said, you know the, the rules? Get into the bathroom. Strip. You know, they like, you strip naked. Then that black stick came out. So run the water. Wet yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's painful when it's wet. Hallelujah, I tell you. Guess what? Did I ever come late again? Never again. Well, I, I don't know what, how, how grand the game is on. Five to six, you're making your way home. Tell your neighbor, discipline is good for you. Did I hate my mother? Did I hate my father? 
I honor them today. I thank God. You know why sometimes even in their, in their way, they saw, yeah, you boy, got, you got potential. But the way you're carrying on now, you're in, you're, there's an indiscipline developing. I have to put it right immediately. Okay? So I want to encourage you. This is a general encouragement to you. Always, if you are determined to grow in righteousness and to comply with every one of God's righteous demands, learn the, the discipline of properly responding to and embracing correction. Now, usually, for us purposes, for our purposes here in church, that discipline will be meted out by a spiritual father who acts representatively on God's behalf because your, 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 your father or your spiritual leader has the word of the Lord. So the word of righteousness will correct you and train you in godliness so that you can live righteously practically. I'll show you the scriptures in a moment. Okay? Now, um, if you read on, let's just quickly read this. If you come down to the last verse 10, or rather verse, what verse were we on? Verse 7. Verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline, you become, uh, of which you become partakers, you are illegitimate, and you are not sons. Okay? You are not sons. Furthermore, we've had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to who? The father of spirits and live. Your earthly papa disciplined you. After the discipline, you still loved and respected him. This verse is saying, how much more then? When one, listen carefully, when one corrects you about spiritual issues, right, and, and wants to configure your spirit, how much the more should you show them honor and respect? Why? Because they are dealing with eternal issues, right? Dealing with eternal issues. Verse 10. Here's the outcome that I want to get to. What's the outcome of discipline? Look at this, verse 10. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Okay? But the, He, God, disciplines us for our, <coughs> excuse me, for our good so that we might do what? Share in His holiness. You want to become a partaker and a shareholder in the holiness of God. It's not going to happen without correction discipline. And the next verse clearly tells you the outcome. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but soulful. Nobody likes it. Yet to those who have been what? Everyone say trained by it. Right? To those who have been trained by it. Afterwards, the result is the peaceful fruit of what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, we discussed in detail on Wednesday the Greek word for this word, trained. It's what? Mark knows it. <laughs> say gumnazo. Say gumnazo. The Greek word gumnazion is a derivative of gumnazo from which we get the English gymnasium, gym, and gymnast. Okay? Gumnazio means to train naked as an athlete, like Greek, Greek athletes would have done in their day, to train naked. But metaphorically, it denotes training in, in godliness, okay? Training in, in godliness. Now, let me give you one quick scripture before I go on. First Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Uh, you're going to have to listen to the teaching from Wednesday. Fortunately, or rather unfortunately, rather, Wednesday's Bible study was only uploaded to my website very late last night. Donovan had some technical issues with the site. 
Okay. So if you want to listen to Wednesday, which was an hour long, a teaching an hour long, where I literally unpacked this Hebrews passage that we just read, please listen to the details there. It's very, very empowering. I'm simply, I've given you a brief summation now. But Paul said this to his son Timothy. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. Right? On the other hand, discipline. Everyone say discipline. Now, you will not need discipline if you learn to discipline your, yourself. Gumnazo yourself. Strip off like a gymnast. I, I said on Wednesday, a gymnast wears tight-fitting, light clothing to reduce the element of drag or friction as he executes a difficult uh, uh, task. Okay. Right? You are gumnazod. God wants to strip the flesh off you. Strip carnality off you so as to reduce the element of drag or friction in how you execute His will. You've got to be as light and as free, unencumbered as possible. But I love this word. Everyone say godliness. Right? Godliness is a beautiful, a most, a most, a most beautiful uh, verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Flee these things, you man of God, and pursue what? Pursue righteousness and what? Godliness. So, godliness is God-likeness. Right? So, the Word of God right, is the Word of righteousness. Factor these phrases into your spirit. Everyone say, Word of righteousness. That's Hebrews 5.13. If, you if you're still drinking milk, and not me, you are unskilled in the word of <clears throat> righteousness. Next phrase, say, say training in righteousness. Right? You must pl please try and remember the, the verses. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given for training in, in, in righteousness. This verse is a lovely verse to remember. You are a man of God, follow righteousness and godliness. So practical righteousness becomes an expression of 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 godliness. Now last week, I said this to you from the book of Jude. Jude verse 4. Jude verse 4. Verse 4. There's only one chapter in Jude, eh? There are some people, he says, they have crept in unnoticed. Those who have long before marked out for this condemnation. Watch. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into what? Licentiousness. Licentiousness is lasciviousness, um, is licentious behavior, unbridled sensuality, um, overt sexual indulgence. Some translations say it that way. It's indiscipline. Everyone say indiscipline. So say unbridled. If you are indiscipline, unbridled means you've got no checks and balances around you. You just go with the flow and do what you want to in the process might just displease God. So if you think you got license, hence the word licentiousness, you think you got license to do what you want to? No, no, no. God has certain protocols. But the frightening thing about this verse is that some men can take grace. Everyone say grace. And turn it into freedom to do what I want to because grace is available. Right? Doesn't work. What is the theme of this current teaching series that we are busy with? What, what is the heading? It's grace reigning through what? 
Where does grace sit well and reign in? Righteousness. So watch. Because you've been the recipient of grace that God granted you the gift of righteousness, and grace in turn will foster righteousness, if you, because you've received grace, then now think, I can behave unrighteously, having license to do what I want to because grace is available. Guess what? Grace says, no way, Jose. No way am I going to consistently abound and be available to the one who's been made righteous by grace, but elects to practice unrighteousness in his life. Right? Paul actually argued this in Romans 6. He says, shall we sin that grace may abound? And he gives the answer. He said, no way. We will never do that. Okay? So, you know, please, I'm dying to get to next week's teaching, but I have to lay these foundations. When you truly understand what grace does, grace not only sits well or reigns through righteousness, grace, if you know it in its true essence, will actually, it's designed to provoke and facilitate your growth in righteousness. It's not left entirely to you. If you say, wow, I must now practice righteousness so that I can get more grace, that's true. I'm saying, yes, the mindset must be there. But God's grace in you will foster that righteousness in the first place for it to sit well in. But you don't Op, don't there mustn't be a lack of cooperation with that process where you have this hey sir or blase attitude casual laissez-faire mindset in that i can be very casual indisciplined unbridled in my passions in my desires i can just give vent to what i want to do my own scheme my own invention as ecclesiastes seven twenty nine says and still think that grace will thrive in that it's not going to, it's not going to happen, okay? Just Proverbs 22, 11. I'm not sure if my memory serves me correct. I put this up on Facebook last night. Here's it. Yeah, beautiful. Watch. He who loves what? Everyone say purity of heart. Purity of heart and whose speech is gracious. Who is his friend? The king is his friend. You if you build purity of heart, everyone say a pure heart. Let me just say this to you. You might not be entirely perfect. There must be some stuff you're working on. But at least have a pure heart before God. At least have purity of motivation. This is the most powerful text. Please fact it into your memory. Memorize it. Fact it into your spirit. Install it as a principle in your life. You say, I'm going to make sure... My heart is always pure. Why? Because a pure heart will lead to gracious speech. When God sees purity of heart, commitment to righteousness, guess what attends you? Grace. And how is grace most efficiently communicated? By words, by, by speech. And guess who will be your audience? Not any Tom, Dick, and Moonsami. This one, yeah. This is Jeremy Moonsami. <laughs> Not any Tom, Dick, and Harry. It says, kings will listen to you. Here's a prophecy for this house. I didn't plan on the scripture. Just the Holy Ghost jolted my, my memory as I'm speaking. Listen carefully. I submit to all of you that God will bring you before people of influence. Get ready for it. 
And the Lord says, don't retract from it when I present it to you. Because God said, I'm not checking. You might think you're eligible by various criteria. You're ticking all the boxes. Yes, you must. But God says, all I'm looking for is a pure heart. If I see purity of heart, I will grant grace. God says, it will alter even how you speak. Hallelujah. Right? Jaden, you're going to be, I prophesy to you, my boy. You're going to be a great man in the kingdom. A great man in the world. Thus saith the Lord to you, the Lord's got his hand upon you. You're going to do great and mighty things for the Lord. Great grace and peace will always attend you in the name of the Lord. I promise you, you're going to see great things. You'll be like a Daniel in the midst of an antagonistic environment. That's going to be your experience. Now I want to encourage you. Everyone say, a king is my friend. Who doesn't want a king as your friend? Anybody? If anybody I want as a friend must be the king, right? Because then I'm sorted, right? Then you can pull strings this way, that way. <laughs> I'm just joking. Don't, don't seek friendship for what it can do for you. All I'm, I'm just having this impress in my spirit. You know, I've been watching myself since, since Pastor Thamo started the series. It's not that I'm unrighteous or overtly carnal or given to licentious behavior at any level. But I'm, I'm, no, I, I'm watching myself in the most innocuous of things that I would just have overlooked in times past. No, 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 no. Randolph, get your act together. No, don't go. Don't fall. Don't think that. Don't entertain that. No, don't. Don't, don't, don't. Put the principles up. Erect your parapet wall. No, don't. Focus on a pure heart. What does the scripture say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Amen. Amen. Say with me, the king will be my friend. I'm expecting this. This is a word for us. I'm expecting this for my life. That if I'm taking, you know, sometimes I think, especially in apostolic circles, we are so wordful. The content of word is so much. We don't take time to stop at the most, at, at the segments of the word delivered to us, camp there for a while, internalize it, marinate, pickle yourself in it until the thing manifests. I would say to you this week, get up every day saying, he who has a pure heart and his speech is gracious, the king will be his friend. Then you say to yourself, God, I want to have a pure heart to you before you. I keep myself, I'll watch myself by your word. You promise that grace will be my portion and I'm waiting to, to communicate grace even through my speech. And now, Father, I thank you that significant people of influence you're going to cause to show favor to me. I've got kings as friends. Tell someone I have kings as friends in Jesus' name. Come on, say it. Say, I have kings as friends in Jesus' name. I have a king. Come on, say, I have a king as a friend. Come on, you've got you to assert it. Don't let the principle of God's word just be a principle that you read and you espouse. Live the thing. That's a lovely verse. The king is my friend. Now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. Paul makes a profound boast. And he says, he uses words like our proud confidence. Watch. He says, our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience. Everyone say, my conscience. Let me encourage you, church. God uses your conscience to speak to you. 
don't violate your own conscience because the Holy Spirit will use it to guide you as to what to do, what not to do. If you ignore the Holy Spirit's voice within the conscience of, that God has given you, what happens is over a period of time, your conscience becomes seared. The Bible says with a hot iron. Okay? There's a text in Proverbs which says this. He who being often reproved. Everyone say often reproved. He who being often reproved and that without repentance shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. That's a frightening verse of scripture right there. Right? Everyone say often reproved. And you don't heed it. And it says, you, you're rejecting what? The word of righteousness designed to instruct you in godliness comes to correct, comes to reprove. Proverbs. A man who hardens his neck. This verse says like this. Harden, the hardening of the neck is a symbol of rebellion. Remember Orpah, one of the, the daughter-in-laws of Naomi. Ruth followed Naomi. But Orpah went back to Moab and its gods. You know the meaning of Orpah is stiff-necked. So Orpah is the symbol of a rebellious person. Right? So watch. A man who hardens his neck, watch. After, it's not just after reproof. It's after much reproof. Right? It's like... Time and time again, God must speak to you about the same issues over and over and over and over. And you show no signs of repentance. Guess what? Will suddenly, not progressively, not slowly over time. It says, whoop, suddenly be what? Be broken and that beyond remedy. A frightening verse right here. New King James. I learned this in the old King James. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck, rebellious, will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. King James, this is where I learned it. Right? He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. I tell your neighbor, don't violate your own conscience. Paul, he says, my proud confidence. And he says, there's something I'm proud of, I'm bold to speak about, Paul is about to tell you. And he says, my conscience corroborates, bears witness with me. Okay? Bears witness with me. You, you must never come to the place where, according to the scripture, your conscience becomes seared with a hot iron. That simply means, how do you know when your conscience becomes seared with a hot iron? One of the manifestations would be this. You do the wrong thing and you feel nothing. You can do the wrong thing and feel no conviction. You don't even feel sorry. You don't even feel awkward. Yeah? No, it just happened with me in my walk with the Lord. I would actually start shivering physically if I contemplated uh, breaking the law of God in a particular. It just, my body used to react. For me, it was like an alarm system that God's putting on. Don't overstep the mark, my son, my boy. Don't overstep, overstep it. Right? So guard your conscience. The Holy Spirit works with your conscience. Go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Let, let's, let's go a bit faster because of time. Listen, this is our proud confidence. The testimony of our conscience 
That in what? I like these terms. Everyone say in holiness. Right? In holiness and in godly sincerity. Not in fleshly wisdom. But where? The word in tells you where. If I say I'm in, it means I'm referencing a location. He says, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially to you. Paul is making a very profound claim here. Listen carefully. He is saying, I'm committed to holiness. Everyone say holiness. He said, I'm committed to sincerity. In other words, uh, authenticity, no duplicity, no falsehood. I'm a sincere guy. I'm a simple guy. Simplicity or sincerity. I don't have uh, issues. My life is not complicated. Uh, let me encourage you while we're at this. If you double click on this word sincerity, it literally implies un uncomplicatedness. Tell someone, keep your life simple. No, keep those, don't have issues. Do you know what? For example, if you tell lies and you're having, let's say, a little fling on the side with a spare wheel. You know, people are actually ignorant, right? You know what I'm talking about? We've got nice words today to describe adultery. An away game. I'm having an away game. Or I'm using the spare wheel. Right? What's the other one? Something on the side. Side bite. We even got a nice word. It's called an affair. Oh, he's had an affair. No, you didn't have an affair. You committed wicked adultery. Affair is a nice term to placate something detestable before God. Right? So you must call a spade a spade. When, when, when the option to commit adultery was presented to Joseph from Potiphar's wife, and she attempted to seduce him. What did he say to her? Shall I commit a, such a wicked thing before my God and before my master? No ways. Right? He called adultery a wicked thing. I'll talk about that. How you must hate lawlessness and love righteousness. Jesus says he loved righteousness, but he hated lawlessness. If you don't hate the thing, that is, an, uh, that is detestable before the Lord, you will never embrace the opposite of it that is righteous and acceptable to the Lord. Okay? So, now, everyone say conduct yourself. How must you conduct yourself? Where? You know, you know he's saying, my conscience bearing me witness, I want to be holy, I want to live I, I forgot to illustrate the point. Make it back to this adultery story. I started it and I was sidetracked. If you have an adulterous affair, guess what? You're going to have to lie at some point. Yeah? Right? And then, when that lie is potentially about to be found out, you do another lie to cover up the previous lie. And so the, the process goes on. Ultimately, you will lie so much, and if you're not careful... It affects your perception of reality so that you ultimately, I know people like this, you get to the place where it's indistinguishable, indistinguishable to you what is lies and what is truth. And then your life becomes a lie and you start to live a lie. You have no rest, no peace when you sleep at night because life 
has become complicated. Tell someone it's complicated. You saw the movie. It's complicated, right? Tell someone it's complicated. No, it, you mustn't be complicated. You must be simple or sincere, right? Keep things how they should be and all will go well with you. No, no spare wheels, no away games. No cheating, no defrauding, no lies. Just be pure, do the right thing, and you will see how simple and how blessed life can be. Hallelujah. Everyone say, be sincere. Yeah, be sincere. Now, how does this happen? Titus chapter 2, quickly. Verse 11, I think. Yeah, Titus 2, verse 11. Titus 2 and verse 11. Here is a verse that all of you must remember and memorize and factor into your spirits. Right? It's a beautiful verse. It says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to, to all men. There's a whole a lesson in this, but I won't go there now. Go, go to the next verse. It uses exactly the same word. Grace instructs. Everyone say grace instructs. Right? It's the word that is used in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All scripture is profitable for instruction in what? In righteousness, by dear training, with the idea of correction and reproof. This verse says, grace itself instructs us to do what? To deny ungodliness. Remember Paul said to Timothy, Train yourself in what? In godliness or God-likeness. How do I get there? Well, it's by grace because this verse says, if, my thinking is like this, if grace reigns through righteousness, sits well in righteousness, I said to you, it must generate the thing it thrives in. God's grace will not leave it up to you to produce righteousness for it to reign through. If you truly understand the nature of grace, it will both require righteousness and produce what it requires. Right? How? I'm going to explain thoroughly next week. It will produce it. In the expectation of God will be the empowerment or the enablement of the Lord Himself. Okay? So often, when I say to you, grace, and if I say, what does grace mean to you? Apart from its definition that we hold true to in this church, which is, grace is the composite constituent element or makeup in God as a spirit being. It's what gives spirit constituency or composition. Spirit, like H2O, comprises water. There's God, the Father, Son. They are spirit. You cannot see them. But invisibility of spirit doesn't make it insubstantial. It has weight. It has substance called grace. But... That's true. That's grace in essence. But grace in effect, when that comes to me, it has certain outcomes. Not so? It has certain outcomes within, within us. Now, um, it does certain things for you. It enables. It empowers. One of its enabling and empowering things is it's a teacher. Everyone say grace is a teacher. Because if someone is going to instruct me, right? if someone is going to instruct me, what does it mean? It must teach me, not so. It must end. It must enable me. What does it teach me to do? To say no. Deny means say no. 
reject, resist. So there's ungodly temptation coming my way and worldly desires that comes to me. And I say no to ungodliness. I say no to these worldly desires by the grace of God, which is the composite nature of God, is now in me. It teaches me to say no to what attempts to lure me to sin. But it doesn't just teach me to say no to what is wrong. Teaches me the opposite to do what? To live. It says first, say sensibly. Say righteously. Say and godly. Three things the grace of God will do for you. It will give you good sense. Right? You know, some people don't even have common sense, although it's common. And freely available for everybody. Okay. Just like, what's the... What should any normal, rational thinking human being should do? Greg can even teach you to do that. If you want to say, be sensible. Later on in this year, we're going to teach you um, skill in the workplace. Not skill in the workplace. How to become successful in Babylon. The kingdoms of this world. To live successfully. If you don't understand the grace of God, it's not going to work for you. Because grace will make you successful. Okay, The grace of God, the Bible says instructs you to live sensibly, um, righteously, and godly, uh, he says, in the present age. Can I ask you, is this present age ungodly? Yes or no? Is the world in which we present this aeon, this time frame, how wicked is the world today? On a scale of, let's say, 1 to 10. It's gone beyond 10, I think. It's off the chart, right? It's like out of hand. The, the Half the truth hasn't even yet surfaced in terms of what really is going on in the world today. right? And I want to encourage you like I did a few weeks ago. If God is to judge the world, He needs a righteous standard in a people. And His church becomes the righteous standard in His people to judge unrighteousness in the in the world. And Noah, I want to remind you, please go back to Genesis 6. I need to remind you, and please, I might sound boring and I'm, I'm repeating things ad nauseum, but repetition is the mother of learning. I'll repeat the matter until I see it manifest. I'm repeating it for my own sake. Noah found, put the King James up. It says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Everyone say, he found grace. And the next verse says, these, verse 9, these are the generation or the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was what man? Where does grace sit well? In righteousness. Noah becomes, yeah, the whole world is the present age in Noah's time is bad, right? Every evil of men's hearts, wicked consistently. And there's a guy called Noah. I told you what Noah means. What does Noah mean? Everyone say rest. What finds grace? You can read this by saying Noah found grace. Rest found grace. So you must rest in obedience to the word of God. Grace, and that will will train you in righteousness and grace will find you. Grace will be attracted to your righteousness. Tell someone, be a Noah in this present age. Be a Noah. The whole world can be going one way. You stand for integrity. Stand for righteousness. 
Everyone say integrity. You must be an integrous person. Huh? You, must, you must be upright in all of your dealings. Go back to Titus. I think we're going to finish up with this because of time. Titus, the, the verse we had, Titus 2, what was it? 11 and 12. It says, the grace of God does three things. It teaches me to live sensibly, righteously, and, and godly. It teaches me to say no to worldly desires and to the lusts of this world, to unrighteousness. Okay? Now, the word sensibly is interesting. It doesn't just mean common sense or what is sensible to do. The Greek word is, listen carefully, is sophronos. Sophronos. It literally means the following. A sound mind, rational. A sound mind, rational. Sober mind, sober-mindedness. But it also means, this word I like, moderate. Everyone say moderately. So nobody should be given to any excesses, even in good things. You might think, according to this verse, that the grace of God only teaches you to say no to sin. Grace also teaches you how to engage good things moderately. Because too much of a good thing can kill you too. You don't overindulge even in what is good for you. So the grace of God will teach you how to eat correctly. Now I need a lot of grace, please pray for me. (laughs) But I'm making progress. You see my problem is coffee. But the problem is two teaspoons of sugar in each cup. And you're having six to eight cups a day. You'll be having 16 teaspoons of sugar. That's bad for you. Can cause cancer in your later years, etc. So I realized that. So what I did, I said, Ish, Father, it's so hard. I, literally, yes, my testimony. I said, Father, it's so hard. I'm not down to one. Every time I make, I make tea, uh, tea or coffee for myself, one teaspoon. This is now for the past two weeks. A clap for me at least. Encourage the brother. <laughs> Encourage the brother, right? <laughs> That's a big thing for me, brother. That's like a testimony. Hallelujah. But you know what? I said to God, I said, God, to myself, I can't. I'm talking even as something as innocent, as innocuous as sugar in tea or coffee. And God help me by your grace. I can do it. Initially, it was hard. First two days. And I just find it becoming almost habitual, not two, just one. And I'm actually enjoying it now. Yeah? Now tell someone you can eat correctly by the grace of God. Tell someone you can lose weight by the grace of God. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, grace can teach you to live sensibly. It is not sense to have six cups of coffee a day and two teaspoons of sugar. You can be spiritual, but you are slowly killing your body. Yeah? And I realize, hey, grace must teach me to do the right thing, even in normal life. Yeah. Hallelujah. By grace, you can exercise, Rita. <laughs> yeah? Some of you are saying, I have no time, my body. No, you can. Search for the answer, Colette. Father, we pray for Colette. We thank you for healing. Uh, we pray that a total healing will be apportioned by the grace of God. I affirm the power of your grace to heal Colette completely now in Jesus' name. Thank you, O God. This cancer is dried up in Jesus' name. 
by the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus. You are healed in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Anything. Tell someone anything by grace. I love verses like this because it just makes it plain. Now, tell you never live, start to live sensibly. Part of it's moderate, part of it's rational, yes, sober-minded. But just don't, listen carefully. The Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Yeah, you can do sometimes. What does Hebrews 12 says? Hebrews 12 verse 1. It says, therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, or let us, if you got a cloud of witnesses sitting in grandstands, cheering you on. This is the whole Old Testament. David, Joshua, Moses, all in the cloud, looking at us in our day and say, hey guys, you run your race. They're sitting in the grandstands of the unseen world, cajoling us, think we had our time, it's your turn now. Let us, now, not me, it's corporate, everybody included. Let us do what? Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. An encumbrance might not be the sin. It's not sin, but it's an encumbrance. It's something in your life which you cannot define as sin. And you might say, well, it's not sin, so I can carry on doing it. I'm saying it might not be sin, but it's definitely going to hinder your race. It's definitely going to trip you up in how you move forward. Okay? Now, watch. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which, yes, it, it does not entangle. It easily, watch, it easily entangles. That's the issue. It easily trips you up. So let us run with endurance the race that is, that is, that is set before us. So I want to encourage you, the grace of God in you can teach you how to live righteously. I wrote this in my notes, a little paragraph. I want to read it because I may not, if I say it, I might not capture how I wrote it. Listen carefully. Grace teaches us to live sensibly. With soberness and seriousness, soundness of mind and moderation. The opposite is true if you live without grace. That is, you will live then riotously, prodigally, disorderly. But grace brings dignity to your life and you start to live a kingly, disciplined lifestyle. Everyone say discipline. I think it's a key thing that came through this morning. Discipline. I'm not going to throw principles and protocol out the window. Submit myself to discipline by the grace of God. And grace sits well in that practical expression of righteousness. Before I close, let me just read you. because it bears, I don't want to leave this. It bears reference to what we were saying. And I'll just quote the verses for your records, because many of you are taking notes. I want to encourage you, bring a notebook and a pen to church. It's important to take notes. Revelation 3, 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Proverbs 3, 12, another beautiful verse of Scripture says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. 
Proverbs 19, 18 says the following. Discipline your son while there is still hope. Very important. And do not desire his death. In other words, if you withhold a discipline, you are saying, I desire your demise. But while there's still hope for change, administrate the, the discipline. Okay? And then lastly, Proverbs is the following. Correct your son. Correct your son. And he will give you comfort. And he will also delight. 17. He will also delight your, your soul. My famous one. I want everyone to memorize this Psalm 84 verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives two things. What? He gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly as righteous. If you've got righteousness, what comes to you? Grace. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does God withhold from the person that walks uprightly before the Lord. Amen. Stay seated. Just lift your hands to the Lord as we pray. You know, you've heard God's word today. I pray you receive grace to live sensibly, honorably, righteously, and godly in this present age. Let grace teach you to say, no! When temptation comes knocking at your door, you tell your mind, or even pray, say, God, let your grace teach me to say no, to deny worldly lust and worldly pleasure. Say no to it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for your word to us. We are encouraged to have received instruction from the word of righteousness. Teach us to live a disciplined, a bridled lifestyle to which grace can be attracted because of the practical righteousness that it evokes and enables in us. Thank you, Lord, that you said in your word, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Thank you that the upright in heart has gracious speech, and the king will be his friend. Thank you for what we've heard today, God. Right now we receive grace. Come on, just receive it as I impart and pray over this. I impart the grace of God to you this morning, church. Receive it in the name of the Lord. The grace of God be with you. The grace of God be your portion today. If in any matter you've struggled, I submit to you today as you receive grace. This grace will empower you. If you struggle to live sensibly in any area, the grace by the word of the Lord you receive today will, just, will not only instruct you against unrighteousness and to live sensibly, but it now empowers you to do what is right before the Lord. In every department of your life, be empowered by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.